If you would, turn with me in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3, and also find your way over to James chapter, chapter 3. Oh, got a little bi- water on my Bible. Knowing the time and understanding the business that we still have ahead of us this afternoon, and uh, also recognizing that we're working our way through the Olivet Discourse in Matthew chapter 4, I looked at that passage and I thought, mm, I don't know, I don't know if we're going to be able to get through that next section and still land the plane on time so that we can go and get lunch and be back here for our business this afternoon. So, listen to some wise counsel from Pastor Al, and he said, he said, son, it's just not possible. So, I said, you're right, I bow to that wisdom, and um, I thought it might behoove us to just step away from Matthew chapter 24 and consider uh, something that might be helpful to us this, as we gather this afternoon uh, for our business meeting. So, namely, uh, the concept that I want you to be thinking about is wisdom. Anytime we come to make a decision as a church, the thing we should always be seeking from the Lord is wisdom, which begs the question, how do we, how do we get wisdom? And so, uh, two different passages to show what wisdom is and then what wisdom is not. We'll read the text, we'll pray, we'll ask God to help us by His Spirit, and uh, and then we'll get to work. If you would, Colossians 3, we're going to pick it up in verse 12. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another, notice the phrase, in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything, everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Now, if you would just flip over to James chapter 3, and we'll pick it up in verse 13. That passage there shows us a source of wisdom, a key to wisdom. This passage will show us what wisdom is not. It's good to contrast what is and what is not wisdom. James 3, we'll pick it up in verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? This is the question. Who's the wise guy here? Who's the smart guy? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes from above, but it is the earthly, spiritual, demonic wisdom. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Let's bow for a word of, of prayer. Father, we, we just thank you for your, your word to us. We thank you, Lord, that it is your desire to see your people grow in understanding, 
grow in knowledge, to begin, Father, putting on wisdom, the wisdom that you desire to give to us. Father, as we look at these texts this morning, briefly, Lord, knowing that uh, the time is short, I pray, God, that you would give us ears that would listen as we talk quickly. Pray, Father, that all of the truth and beauty that is in these verses could be quickly absorbed. And I do ask you, Lord, that you would give us wisdom as we approach our annual Great Commission meeting this afternoon. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. She was probably the most relieved mom in the history of motherhood. I'm sure if you're a mom here, you can experience and you can appreciate that fear, that horror of suspecting that a child of yours is in danger, perhaps grave danger. Their life is perhaps even in jeopardy. This particular mom was in a bit of a squabble, and squabble in this particular case would be a significant understatement. She was in a squabble with another lady. Um, it was a lady that she'd brought into her home to be sort of a tenant, a boarder of sorts, maybe had a basement suite or something along those lines that she rented out to this lady. Push came to shove. This lady, a lady of questionable means, ended up sleeping on top of her child one night, accidentally killing her child. And so she seized the landlord's child, so to speak, and said, this is my baby in the night while the, land, the lord of the house was sleeping. They brought the case to the judges, and of course, at this point, you know, all the social workers are getting involved, Ministry of Family, Children, and everybody is weighing with an opinion. It's one of those cases that would have shocked the nation. National headlines, two women claim same child as their own. How could someone lie about someone else's baby? One of these two women obviously is lying. This is just an absolute horrific nightmare. How will we decide in an age in which there is no DNA testing, there is no blood typing, how will we decide whose mother, which mom of the child is the true mother? Of course, the case is appealed all the way up to the Supreme Court, the highest judge in all the land. The king himself is asked to weigh in, and his means of resolving the dispute is to ask for a sword to be brought to him, in which case he turns to the two ladies and he says, tell you what. If you can't figure it out amongst yourselves whose, child, whose, whose mom is the true mom of this child, then I will just divide the child in two and you can both have a piece. Now, the one lady holding the child was a bit aghast at that, but said, oh, okay, and, and started to walk forward, whereas the true mother of the child said, no, 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 let her have the baby. In which King Solomon utilizing the wisdom and the understanding that God had given him, said, this woman is the true mother of the child. That passage from 1 Kings chapter 3 concludes with this statement, and when all Israel heard of this event, they stood in awe because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in King Solomon. Notice this phrase, to do justice. Now, prior to this great event, just, just one paragraph prior to this event unfolding, we see Solomon as he's taking the throne from King David, getting down on his knees and praying and crying out to God, and his prayer is for wisdom. This is exactly what he says. He says, give to your servant, as he's praying to God, give to your servant understanding. Notice that, understanding 
and a mind to discern. Notice that, understanding and discernment. Give to your servant a Give to your servant understanding and a mind to discern between good and evil. And you take Solomon's prayer, and you also take the comments that Israel is making about Solomon, and you notice some things here. Solomon's request of God is, I want to have understanding, and I want to have an ability to discern between good and evil. He tries this case of these two women claiming to be the mother of this one child, and Israel, at the conclusion of this case, says that they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him, notice this, to do justice, to do justice. Discernment between good and evil, understanding for the doing of justice. That's what we're talking about when we are asking God for wisdom. As we consider these passages from Colossians chapter 3 and James chapter 3, there's something that you need to bear in mind. Wisdom does not come to anyone who does not have a heart to do what God desires and seeks to see done. If we are apathetic in our pursuit of God's kingdom, or if we're just plain absent, if we don't even show up, then there is no reason to expect or to think that God will give us wisdom. If you consider the scriptures, wisdom always comes in those moments when a decision must be made. Wisdom is always preceded by a decision a choice between two options, and the decision only presents itself when an individual has a will to act for what is true, righteous, and just. You see that in the life of Solomon? It's what the sages talked about in the book of Proverbs, and yes, that's exactly what we see here in both Colossians and James. We'll start first with the book of James. James makes the statement in chapter 3, verse 13, posing the question to the church, who is wise and understanding among you? Ah, I'm sure it's that Benedictine monk who's hiding himself away from the world and in isolation is quietly praying, right? No, actually just the opposite. No insult intended for prayer. But the criticism is towards isolation. In verse 13, James says, who is wise and understanding among you by his good conduct, let him show forth his works in the meekness of wisdom. In other words, the wise person, the guy that you know has wisdom is an individual who's engaged in doing good works and you can see him doing good works. And furthermore, the verb itself, if you look, it says, by his good conduct, let him show his works. It's an interesting construction. It's in the imperative. It's saying, yes, he must be observed. Yes, he must be allowed to be observed. When it says, let him, he's saying he must be able to demonstrate his wisdom. In other words, through his good works. In other words, you can look around the church community, because James is a letter being written to a church, and you can look around, and the wisest people among us, first and foremost, we understand they're the ones that are engaged in doing good. They're not the apathetic, they're not the absent, they're present, and they're working for God's righteousness. What now is the distinguishing factor between somebody who just wants to be seen working, who just wants to appear to be a good guy, versus a truly wise man? That's what James will go on. Here's what wisdom is not. In verse 14, he says, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast and be false to the truth. 
In other words, if your heart's desire is to be number one, if your heart's desire is for your own aggrandizement, for your own self-exaltation, if it's a self-centered pursuit for your own glory, the exhortation there from James is you better be checking your heart and you better not be boasting, hey, look at my works, look at how much I'm serving here in the church. Because even though you may be boasting, even though you may be working in the church, that boast is not a boast of truth. If the heart's motivation behind your good works is to be seen in order to be exalted. So James' statement is don't, don't do it. We also know from this that wisdom is not for the purpose of self-centered concerns. It says, jealousy and selfish ambition, look again at verse 15. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Verse 16, where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Wisdom isn't found in the self-exalting, self-centered, selfish person. Wisdom is found in a totally different place. Turn with me now to Colossians chapter 3. As you're flipping there, I'd like to quote to you Proverbs 18, a proverb from the sages of old. This is verse 1. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. Again, the isolated person isn't the wise person. The isolated person is the person who's interested in his own interests, not in the good of the community. And Proverbs 18.1 says that that person in doing that has broken out against all sound, uses the expression judgment, which is a component of wisdom. We know that God has given wisdom to the church. So how do we have wisdom here at First Baptist? Briefly, I just want to walk you through this. What we find in Colossians 3, verses 12 all the way down to 17, is a culture that is carefully cultivated that allows for the flourishing and the giving of wisdom from God. What kind of a culture is that? First off, it is a culture or a house or a gathering such as this where there is a kind and humble spirit within the gathering. Notice the first verse, verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. The first verse there, verse 12, says that wisdom, and the reason I'm saying this, the, the thing that should draw our attention here, it's found in verse 16, admonishing, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Wisdom belongs to this community, but you have to start at verse 12 to see what kind of a community we're talking about. They have all wisdom there. They can teach and admonish everyone in all wisdom, but before we look at that, we've got to look at the whole, the whole pet picture. So verse 12 says that first and foremost, it is a kind and humble household. It is a kind and humble gathering. Number two, we'll also notice in verse 13, it is a forgiving people. Look at verse 13, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Verse 14, we find that it is a house that is loving. 
It's a house where the people there deeply, truly love one another with a brotherly affection. Verse 14, look what it says. And above all these, so surpassing compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, forgiveness, above all of those, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. If there's that, then you ought to have every reason to expect what follows next. A peaceful house, a peaceful gathering. Look at what it says in verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body. We also notice that it will be a grateful gathering, a grateful community. He says, be thankful. And last but not least, last and most significant of all, a place where wisdom is given is a place where the people who gather there are keeners. That expression is used often in grade school as a derogatory expression, sort of like the teacher's pet or, uh, you know, the class suck-up, those sorts of things, brown-nosing. Anytime the teacher is going to teach, uh, this particular kid is often ostracized by his peers because he's right there paying attention. He is considered a keener. Uh, which is slang for saying he's keen to learn. That's how the world regards the pursuit of knowledge. We all ought to be keeners. Notice what it says here in verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. It's sort of personifying the scriptures. The word of Christ And again, this is in the imperative. So when it says, let this happen, it's saying, you must allow this to be happen. It's an unusual construction in the Greek. That's why it's worded a little weird. It's a passive verb. So it's something that you're allowed to happen, but it's in the imperative. So it's a command. So it's something that you must allow to be happening. Or to put it another way, you must be actively pursuing. So when it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, what it's saying is, you better be richly having this thing among you. You better be after it. It needs to be something that you're pursuing. The exhortation is let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That is, there should be a wealth of it. There should be an abundance of it. It is something that there should be just gobs and gobs of access to it. There ought to be an ample opportunity to pursue the word of Christ within a house or a gathering of people that is committed to having the wisdom of Christ. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, to which indeed you were called in one body. You'll notice again, it's a community project. It's not something that happens in isolation. It's not something that you get just by being in your own home and praying. It is something that happens when we come together as a church, as a community. We are confronted with decisions. There is a need to make a choice. And then we, seeking the counsel of the scriptures, come together, speak to one another. And in that moment, if our hearts are true before the Lord, in which we're saying we want to do what God wants us to do, The promise of Scripture is that wisdom comes. Now, we all learn from that. All of us need to understand that discernment, understanding, knowledge, wisdom, it can never come privately in our own homes. It is given to us by God 
as we encounter the trials and the difficulties of life. It is given by God as we first seek to be people of righteousness who then pursue the knowledge of Christ through the Scriptures. So a wise person is a keener, but he's not a keener first. First and foremost, he's humble, he's forgiving, he's loving, he's peaceful, he's grateful. And then he's a keener. And that's what we need here at First Baptist Church. So as we approach our business meeting this afternoon, as we come together to make decisions, we need to make those decisions. God calls us to choosing, to praying, to deciding, to advancing his kingdom. But before we come to decide, first and foremost, we should ask the Lord to show us our hearts. Are we first and foremost loving, forgiving, patient, kind, humble, grateful? Are those things that are qualities that we have, are we keeners? Do we have a thirst for the word? Let us ask those questions first and then let us decide together and seek the wisdom of God together. You say, preacher, that's all well and good, but I just don't care. I'm just going to go home after this. I'm going to pop on my Netflix, have a great, wonderful afternoon in my house, relaxing. If you're a football fan, you know that the Pro Bowl is on today. You may be tempted to watch that. I'm tempted to watch that, okay? I'm just telling you. (laughs) Being an NFL fan, what difference does it make? There's an interesting passage from 1 Corinthians. Just listen to this. It's from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 to 6. He says, Paul writing to the church at Corinth, When one of you has a grievance against another... Does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? That's an interesting question. And the way that Paul words it, it contains an element of rebuke. If you guys have grievances here, you wouldn't dare. You wouldn't dare go to the civil judge, would you? I mean, you wouldn't do that over going to your church, would you? That's that's how Paul poses the question. He goes a little further. He says in verse 2, Don't you know, and this is a, a conditional rhetorical question that presupposes an affirmative answer. So he's saying, you know this, right? Right? Don't you know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, Are you incompetent then to try the trivial cases? We've been working our way through the Olivet Discourse. And one of the things that we understand that we've mentioned multiple times is that there is a time in which God's people will be redeemed from the corruption and the decay of this world. And there is, I believe, a further promise that God's people will reign with him. And Paul's statement here in 1 Corinthians 6 is that you and I will one day judge this world alongside Jesus Christ. You and I will very, very well find ourselves in a position not all that different than King Solomon. So consider carefully now your pursuit of wisdom. 
say, wow, that's a pretty big deal. We're going to judge the world. It goes beyond that, actually. Very next verse, verse 3. Don't you know that we are to judge the angels? Every time I'm in a Bible study and we mention this verse, the question is always posed, well, what does that mean? Or, or what does that look like? I have absolutely no idea. I mean, there are a number of different theories. There's a lot of speculation. At the end of the day, this is what we can safely say. The angels, those individuals who minister to us on behalf of God, those individuals, those spirits, those mighty, powerful agents of God are said to be under our judgment, our authority. What does that look like? How does that work? What happens with that? What's the deal, preacher? I don't know but I don't need to know to receive it by faith. What I can take from that is this. Starting with the question that Paul posed in verse 1, he says, when one of you has a grievance against someone else, does he dare go to law before unbelievers instead of taking it back to the church? Why would we dare do that when the promise from Scripture is that here in this house we have all wisdom? The question isn't, will God give us wisdom? The question is, will we pursue it? And if you're tempted this morning to think, ah, it's not worth pursuing, you might find yourself in remedial governance class 101 when you get to, the, to heaven, and you wouldn't want that. So I encourage you this morning, as you go from this place, you have all been given the items of business that we will be considering and deciding upon, You've had the uh, Constitution and Bylaws, the reworked document, for three weeks now. And you will have about two hours, give or take, to pray, to ask God for wisdom, and to search your heart. And then let us come together this afternoon, and let us discover the wisdom of God together. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word to us this morning. We pray, Lord, that you would give us wisdom as we decide our business this afternoon. Lord, we ask that your spirit would be among us. And Father, above all this, we pray, God, that we would choose business, that we would choose and make our decisions that would exalt the name of Jesus Christ. As we consider our budget for the next year, as we consider the missionaries that we'll be financially supporting, as we look at the different individuals that the nominating committee has put together for service this next year, as we look at the Constitution Bibles, all these things, Lord, they're, they're all small matters compared to the business of one day judging this world. Lord, I pray, God, that you would find us here at First Baptist faithful in the small things, that we would be entrusted one day with the big things. Father, we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.